Happy Halloween! From Rob, Julie, Sam, and Welcome to ICU, a podcast where we advocate that compassion and connection save lives. They also make life pretty cool. I'm your host, Julie Lee. I see you. Let's be friends. Welcome to I See You, episode 13, She Almost Died Trying, a story of infertility. Happy Halloween, everyone. I'm so excited because this is the 13th episode and it's on the Friday before Halloween and it just makes me feel all spooky and festive. Actually, to be honest, I feel pretty sick. If you listen to my last podcast, you know my little boy was throwing up. And guess what? He gave it to mama. So I'm not feeling very good, but I got some fresco here that I'm sipping and that helps. Our review for this week is actually a comment that was left on the website. It's from Anonymous. It says, I found your podcast through a Facebook friend. Thank you for putting into words how I feel about getting my eventually day. Thank you for leaving that. And I hope you know, I really firmly believe you will get your eventually day. And I hope it's soon. Last episode, I talked about my experience with infertility and how being authentic helped me get through that. I got so much positive feedback from that. Thank you for being just sensitive and understanding and being an awesome community. That leads perfectly into this week's episode with Deirdre. She has the craziest story. When she showed up at my house and I met her, I was like, dude, this girl is a powerhouse. She's tough. She knows who she is and she knows what's most important. Basically, I just want to be her when I grow up and I can die happy. Make sure you listen to the episode from beginning to end to hear the entire story. Here's Deirdre. Hi, Deirdre. Hi. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. I am um, 42 years old and I met my husband when he was 27. I was 25 and we were in New York City and living in Manhattan. It was August of 2002. We met and then got married fairly quickly that year. Um, He and I, early on, we had a boat that his dad gave him, a 1970s boat. And since, like, for 16 years, we have grown up boating together. Fun. Yeah. Boating, wakeboarding. We love the water. I love snow skiing. He likes to snowboard. We have five kids. We live in Vineyard. What's your favorite kind of ice cream? My favorite ice cream is anything with Heath or Reese's Peanut Butter Cup, but I have to do vanilla. I can't do chocolate. Because it's too much? Too much. Chocolate's too much for me, so I have to have vanilla base and then... Can you do just chocolate ice cream? mm -mm. Oh, like no No chocolate chocolate ice cream cream. at all? Mm -mm. Whoa, okay. vanilla. Because I get the Heath needs to balance out with vanilla, but no chocolate ice cream. No chocolate. Okay. I've been shark diving. I've been skydiving twice. Oh, you're crazy. Once in Hawaii. I'm never doing that. <laughs> it's like the best <laughs> That's ever. amazing. Yeah. It's so much fun. So once in Hawaii and once in Moab. I love the beach and the ocean. I scuba dive. Cool. I know Deirdre through some mutual friends. They just told me that I had to talk to her about her journey with infertility, which I'm so excited about. I have experienced infertility as well, but I've never done the adoption thing. You just have such a good perspective on so many angles of this issue. And so I'm excited to have you here today. So we first start by telling us a little bit about your journey with infertility. Yes. So um, when my husband and I got married, we knew right away, being a little bit older, world standard, we were still young, but he and I knew right away that we wanted to have and start a family. That became a six year journey and it, it didn't happen for us. 
year after year, we struggled. It was very hard. It was very dark. It was very difficult emotionally. We waited about a year. We then went into the infertility clinic. He got tested. I got tested. And then we got to, we were told this is unknown. You're completely healthy. He's completely healthy. And that was really hard to hear. That's really frustrating. Like hearing those words. Like I just, just give me something. Yeah. You know, get, you know, as much as I don't want to be not healthy, the worst is the unknown infertility. You're healthy. He's healthy. We don't know what's going on. They said, well, it's a process and it could take a couple years because you have to start on the lower end, Clomid, go through artificial insemination and then IVF. Which IVF is in in vitro vitro fertilization, fertilization. right? And um, so we started the process. We started with Clomid and did all the phases of Clomid, all the um, Different different doses of medication. That in of itself was crazy. You know, I was completely alone during that time. At that time, really no one talked about it. You know, this is a lot, a while ago. So back then, even in my, you know, religious, among my religious friends, um, family members, I was the only one experiencing it. I was pretty much alone. Like I felt alone. I didn't know what is this. And then even the emotions of what happens with Clomid, birth control, you have to get on birth control to regulate all the stuff I was going through with that. I just felt completely alone. Like, I don't know what's going on, you know, emotionally, physically, and I had no one to really connect to. Then I moved to artificial insemination and each step with infertility presents more invasiveness physically, like with your body. Anyone that's been through knows. And so I, I, there was no preparation. It's like, well, they, they go in, they tell you, but you just have no idea until you actually experience it. And that was the hardest thing I think for me with infertility is the loneliness that I felt in going. Cause I'm the type of person that If I'm prepared, I have all the information someone tells me. Emotionally, I can handle things a little bit better. It's like the shock and awe, the surprise. (laughs) You're just like, I don't know if I can physically deal with that. And you just don't understand until you actually have been through it. And then six years later, we got to the point of doing in vitro fertilization, IVF. And when we went into do IVF, we got the information we needed. Um, Andrew and I didn't really understand pretty much everything like embryos, creating embryos, discarding embryos. What does that mean? Yes. You're creating life, but like, it's very stressful. It's so stressful. I can connect with that. Yeah. And you go through that process and we didn't know, you know, what do we, what do we do? Like, and people weren't talking about it. No one's talking about it. No one's talking about it. And so that was heavy for he and I, we had to take some months to really process, you know, what does that mean to discard an embryo? Just even that and of itself. Like, yeah. what does that mean for us? What am I going to be held reliable? Am I going to be feeling guilty for the rest of my life discarding an embryo? So that is oh, heavy yeah. mm-hmm. that people that go through infertility or these processes aren't told until you're actually there experiencing IVF or talking with a doctor. And so we got advice. We got counsel that we needed to help us move forward. And the doctors were really great. And they helped us with that process. The first time that I did IVF, they extracted 30 eggs from my ovaries, 30. And the doctors like, I can't, I don't understand. Like you are very fertile and you're very healthy. This doesn't make any sense. It wasn't until I actually got into the infertility clinic that I realized this is a issue. Like this is a national issue. Like this is not just me. This is thousands of women, hundreds of women. And the line was wrapped around the building. 
But it was at the infertility clinic that I saw that visually. In my own community, I was the only one. Because again, no one was talking about it. It wasn't known. It wasn't told. And then when I when I approached the clinic, I that's when I completely received the compassion that needed to come. Even though it wasn't someone personally coming up to me, it was just a visual thing. Like I saw, whoa, this is this is kind of an epidemic. This is something that lots of women struggle with. It's not just me. Two or three women that had just gone through the same process came out of the room completely in tears. They only extracted two. They only extracted four. And when I mean extracted, they get a huge shot that's massive <laughs> with a needle that's super large. And they go up inside of you. It's not something on the outside that they do. It's up inside and super invasive. They put the shot into your ovaries and they're literally syringe sucking those eggs out. And when somebody had told me I only got four, having gone through the process, I completely in that moment wanted to cry with them, like weep. I can't believe you just went through that and four. That means you're going to have to maybe try to come back. Who knows if those four will make an embryo. I got 30. And it was such a long process that after the fact, with the shots and the needles poking into my ovaries, made them huge, made them massive. I can't remember the term that they called it. It was a medical term, but I had to be on high doses of coding, pain meds. I could have died. I could have bled out. And I was in a lot of pain afterwards, very, dis you know, uncomfortable. When we had gone in there, they had talked to us about freezing our embryos. My husband was currently doing a residency, a medical residency in San Antonio via the army. That was another part of our infertility journey that is very, very sensitive. It was a complete blessing to be in the military at the time of all of this, not knowing financially how much it would be. I'd never experienced, obviously, this, this was my first go. It has helped me be very compassionate towards others who have or are currently going through it. The financial, the just the money alone. I had friends that were taking out loans to try oh, absolutely. <laughs> to, do, to do infertility just even once. And they, they had just to, to have a shot, just to have a shot, just to have a chance. And I, I actually couldn't believe how expensive, not only time consuming, but just how expensive it was. And with the military, it was kind of chump change. It didn't really cost us hardly anything um, because of being in the military and it being covered just because we we're military. And wow. I just thought to myself, that's not fair. Something has to be done with this because it's just not, it wasn't fair. I knew that I had to take advantage as much as I could being in the military, knowing that I had friends and that I had other people as I started to talk, as I started to share my story, people started sharing theirs. It was like a very quiet struggle. It's kind of like anxiety and depression, any kind of mental illness, but people don't want to talk about it. And then you start seeing, and I don't know if it's our generation. That's just like enough is enough. We're going to start talking about this. Yeah. Like, it's important. It's and killing it's, us from the inside out. It really is. Infertility was such a quiet struggle and now people are talking about it. There's such a support group and such a strength. People aren't struggling by themselves anymore and people are sharing and it's awesome and I love it. There's a reason for that and I'm grateful. People like you doing what you're doing with your podcasts and sharing and your stories and it's, it's helping all of us realize that we have stories to share and they matter and they help and strengthen other people. Not only that, hey, you can get through this, each of us have a very unique story. And part of that story was the freezing of the embryos that was super hard at the time, even though the military was covering it. He was in an ophthalmology residency that was, you know, grueling financially. We had no money, like we were struggling. 
And we went in there like it's like seven hundred and fifty dollars to freeze your embryos. We can't even that that's not gonna happen. And so with the thirty embryos, you know, they go through a process of creating the embryos and there's different grades. You know, it's hard to get into, you can Google it, but there's different grades of that embryo, what comes out viable, what creates a viable embryo to then transfer back into your uterus that will become a baby. And they go through this different process and they ended up with eight eight or 10. And from that 10, we decided to place two embryos of the 10 that were viable. We placed two and we discarded the rest. We didn't freeze them. And that was the, probably the biggest mistake I made. And I wished somebody who had already gone through it, maybe would have counseled me or the doctors would have pushed a little bit harder. Like you don't want to go through this again. And I just really didn't comprehend or understand. And I guess I was like, so hopeful, like, no, no, it's going to work. Well, like you said, it was a different time because I hear that and I'm a little bit younger than you. And and to me, I'm like, are you kidding me? You discarded them. I just can't even believe it. But it, it's because what you said, people weren't talking about it. These weren't conversations we had. So you had no... I had no idea. Yeah, you had no perspective for that. I really didn't. And again, there was so much hope. Like, it's going to work. It's fine. It's it's going to work. We transferred two in and going through everything that I'd been to through the six years prior, it didn't happen. It didn't take, the embers didn't take. I'd, I'd gotten the call and I remember sitting at work that day and I had to leave. That was probably the hardest day through the whole process. It was such a dark day for me and I didn't understand. It didn't work. All the faith, all the prayers, all the whatever that it took in the muster to believe, it didn't work. It failed. And there was no way I was going to do that again. No. Like go through that process again. And wait, 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 I didn't freeze any of the embryos. I mean, I have to go through a life cycle. When I say life cycle, as soon as I say that to somebody who's gone through the process, they completely like are mind blown. (laughs) Yeah. That's how I'm feeling right now. You have this giant box of medication show up on your doorstep of shots that you have to do every day. And I remember the first day us trying to do those shots, you do it in different fatty parts of your body, but... For us, he had my husband do it on my stomach Me too. and him just being like, I can't do this. And but I couldn't do, I, I couldn't, couldn't do it. But then, I mean, a few days into it, I was doing the shots you just are. because like, okay, here we I'm go. like, you're going to be late for work or I can't wait for you. I, okay. Let's just shove these needles in my stomach. And it's a timing thing. Like if you miss, yes, and that was another part of our infertility experience. That was such a process because after that, after the dark moment, I remember feeling and getting this distinct feeling sitting in my car. I'm done. Like, I'm done with all of this. I'm even done believing what I believe is in a higher power mm-hmm. that is there, that exists, that can help me, that has helped me through most of my life. I'm even questioning that. Is that even real? Like, everything? is there even a God oh at gosh. this point? Seriously, like, is it even there? Sitting in the car, I remember vividly seeing and feeling so much peace and comfort. And just this thought, the thought came to my mind, you need to keep moving forward. If you don't keep moving forward, the miracle, the awesome thing that I'm about to give you will not happen. It won't happen. It can't happen. If you don't show up, if you don't put one foot in front of the other, you're not going to see what's about to happen in just a few short weeks and months. Like I can't, I, that's all I felt. I just felt that, that peace and that feeling like just, okay, I got to keep moving forward. Something's going to happen. And then weeks, months later, we met our son's birth mom. That was miraculous. Had infertility worked, had the two embryos taken or even one, that wouldn't even been a consideration. That's where the question comes into, were there people in my life that showed me compassion or I connected with? It's truly amazing because there was one of, one of my friends 
when it had failed and I was in that dark state, she had a feeling and she was sitting at home. I hadn't called her. I hadn't told her my experience. She was just sitting at home and she felt strong. I need to show up for Deirdre. I need to show up on her doorstep. I need to show up with this gift that she made. And again, I hadn't told her my story. I hadn't shared any of this, not six years of my struggle, nothing. I had just moved to San Antonio and I had gotten to know her just kind of on a superficial level. When she showed up on my doorstep, I had just come home from work after hearing that it had failed and I was in a bad place. And she showed up and just left a gift. She didn't knock on my door. She didn't come in my house. She didn't, nothing. She just left a gift. She texts me, hey, I left something on your doorstep. I went and got it. And it was Michael McLean's From God's Arms to My Arms to Yours. It was his music. And I'd never heard it. It was my first time actually hearing it. And I remember putting it in, listening to it and sobbing, sitting on my floor, crying, sobbing. I cannot believe this just happened. My mind just shifted. It completely shifted. And then other people came to my life during that time. People would say, you know, there's so many ways to build a family. There's so many ways to create families. You, you have kind of a tunnel vision. You need to open up your perspective and open up your mind. So it's not just this one way. And you're set. If it's not happening this way, then there's no hope for me to ever have children and have a family. It was the first time that my mind, because of someone, their compassion, their empathy, their love, that my mind was open up to even considering adoption. And that in of itself was another journey as part of infertility. And it was extensive and it was hard. And it was just as hard as when the infertility didn't work. And then the six years previous to that, when people go through, have gone through the process of adoption. When I say that they understand, or then I have the opportunity to look at them and say, you're about to go through something that will emotionally drain you just as much as not having your own. <laughs> One thing I've learned through these two processes of having children, you don't just say, oh, just, just do infertility, just do IVF. That word just blows my mind. There's no compassion or empathy in that word. And it's just, it's ignorant. People don't understand when they say it. It's just, it's an easy fix or it's an easy thing, but just do that after you've gone through it. The shots, the not working, the extended ovaries that almost killed me, the pain and the emotion of it not working, and then having to go do it again, or having a birth mom say, here, I want to place my baby with you. And then moments before them placing that baby saying, I can't, you've gotten attached to that child. You, you have set up all your heart and mind for that or them becoming a part of your life, the birth mom heavily coming over all the time. I don't see you enough. I don't see your husband enough. Or, you know, dealing with a teenager that's emotionally not quite stable and you're not emotionally stable because you're going through some heavy stuff and you're having to like pull on every thread. I want this to work so bad. So I'm going to cater to this teenager <laughs> because I want their child and I want my child. And I know that this is the hope that the Lord gives me, but at any moment, she could back out and then you have to go through it again. And it's these little parts and aspects of infertility that aren't shared. People don't talk about the struggle. People don't talk about the hard stuff. It's the joy at the end. It's, oh, I conceived through infertility. Or, oh, I have a baby through adoption. And I've learned through my journey, when I talk to people who are going through it, I have them sit down and I say, I want you to hear the hard stuff. I want you to be prepared because I wasn't. No one told me that I would be facing these things, whether it's with in vitro or adoption. Because I, I went through my journey, I can help you better prepare for the emotional stuff that you're about to face that are hard and difficult. And that's the level of compassion that I think when we go through really hard things, that's the only way. The only way we can become more compassionate and help and see others through their journey is saying, okay, this is the outcome. This is what you could face and experience and you can get through it. It was miraculous. We got our older son and he was placed with us and it was 
that was amazing. And then after Ashton, two years having him in our home, I thought, okay, now I'm ready. I can try this again. I can do this again. In vitro again? In vitro. So we tried in vitro again. And that time, 30 eggs extracted from my ovaries the second time, years later, right? How is this going to work? I'm now 30. I'm older. You know, this is going to be a little bit harder. Almost died again because my ovaries got hyperstimulated. When you say almost died, what do you mean by that? Um, when your ovaries get hyperstimulated, you ha- you have to go home. They basically give you medication to help the ovaries go down. There's that time frame where they could explode literally inside of you because they're so hyperstimulated. They're the size of grapefruits and they keep growing and basically blood is filling inside the ovaries. So there's that window of time frame where you got to go home. We're going to give you medication. That's the only way you can do is like, you know, wait it out or there's a chance that you could go home and you could die from mm-hmm. this. And so that happened twice. And so I had to, I got to experience that side of IVF that again, no one mentions. We're so quick to pass over that part. <laughs> you know, I went through IVF and we got my son, Sam. What are the words to, to describe it? You can't, it's just the scary. It's the scary, yucky, messy aspects of this journey that unless you've gone through it, you can't describe it, right? Cause unless you've experienced it, you can't describe it. And for me, I could sit and kind of paint a picture for people. Be like, oh, it's, it's IVF. It's in vitro. It's just, it's, it's awesome. And it's amazing, which it is. But because I experienced the heavy side, the hard side, the, the hard side of something that could be truly miraculous. I feel like that's part of my story. I need to share for others that maybe experience it. This isn't fun. Like, I don't feel grateful for this right now, actually. I don't feel grateful for this awesome thing of medication that, I mean, of medicine that the Lord inspired doctors for us to have children. Yeah, you know all that logically, but when the rubber hits the road in the moment, this is is the worst thing in the world. (laughs) Why do I even want kids? Actually, are they worth it at all? Like, what? I signed up for this? Yeah, I'm I'm paying thousands of dollars (laughs) to do this. And I'm almost, like, going to die because of this. and. That was amazing (laughs) having experienced that, but I got through it and we have Jada. We placed two embryos with Ashton didn't work. There's so much judgment that comes behind that. People that haven't been through it, people don't know they, why did you put four? You know, why, why did you do three, six? And that's such a personal individual thing that needs to Stay between the husband and wife and God. Yes, yes, because having gone through it, having other people go through it, I, I placed one, and I'll tell you that part of my story when we got to my youngest, and it didn't work. That almost was as dark for me and as difficult and shot me back to that really dark place when it didn't work with Ashton and we placed two because you, I just de- decreased my chance because I got twins the third time around, which is the third part of our story of infertility. And I didn't want that again. I was like, if I get twins again, that will not be a blessing. <laughs> and yeah, people, I feel like it's so easy even for us to not have compassion and be like, I didn't think I was going to be able to have babies at all. And so for me to feel any sort of, this is really hard being a mom <laughs> It's really easy to let guilt set in of, I should be grateful for every single kid I get. And I should just try and have babies until I die. <laughs> I don't think that's how God feels. It, it is still hard. I love that you just said that. And I'm going to share a little bit of my journey still that I go through daily now with my five that hits on exactly what you just talked about. And I don't think that that's talked about enough either, especially with those of us that go through infertility. It doesn't end. That level of 
okay, I went through six years of not having them. Then I went through all of this to get them. And now I'm in the thick of it. I mean, there was a time in my life where I had a five-year-old, a four-year-old twins, and I was considering possibly there's another one. And when I tell people that they can't wrap their heads around it, I can't even still wrap my head around it. Like, how did I do that? How did I get through it? And there were times where I would sit and just be like, I prayed for this. I made this happen. I actually went into the hospital, put it in a Petri dish, and I made all that happen. Not through the, just the act of intimacy, right. but through the act of actually walking into a hospital and saying, I want this done. I'm going to make this happen. <laughs> I'm going to make this happen. I mean, I mean, you make it happen through the act of intimacy, but it's right. not, not No, like you're like taking getting in the business of it. Yeah. <laughs> you're getting in the business of it. And then, and then sitting in and dealing with, how do I deal with those thoughts when I'm in the thick of it and I'm like, I don't like this at all. Yeah. I actually hate being a mom. <laughs> whoa. I mean, that's intense. And then people don't talk about that. People don't talk about then the, the after story, but I don't think people talk about it even if you naturally conceived. Yeah. Even we all just need to talk about it more. <laughs> that's <laughs> in this podcast where we just blow everything wide in the open. <laughs> even if you naturally conceived and it happened, it was miraculous, amazing. Whoa. Okay. This is intense. You know, I signed up to be a parent. I signed up to bring children to this world. I myself am imperfect. I'm still a child. And I still have hard things that I'm dealing with myself. And I have to then raise this one. It's intense and it's hard. And then dealing with that shame and the guilt that comes into play. I should be happy. Like you just said, I should be, I should be on cloud nine. Like Mary Poppins all the time. I should be Mary Poppins all the time because I have five kids that for six years, I didn't even think was even possible. And that's what, when it says, you know, what are some ways to see someone struggling with infertility? Or if there's someone listening that's struggling I think for me is if there's people out there that know somebody that's struggling with infertility or you come across someone that's struggling with infertility, even if they have their children, there's that side of empathy and compassion that comes into play of just listening to them when they say, this is so hard for me and not saying to someone, you need to be grateful. You need to be so happy right now. I don't think that's helping anybody. That's actually doing a disservice. Mm Let's have compassion. Let's see you through that struggle. And right now you're feeling that intense feeling. So let's help you get through that just by listening. And just let's by... be okay that negative emotion exists. <laughs> let's be okay. Let's be all right with that. Let's and like, let's just be in it for a second. I'm it pretty sure that God's fine with that. Yeah. He's fine with that. He helps us in those struggles. But instead of let's just push it under the rug, mm-hmm. like that, that's not nice. That's not what sweet people do. That's not how we act. That's not what grateful people do. Instead, bring it out into the light and mm-hmm. saying, this is hard. Period. Period. This sucks. This period. Sucks. <laughs> Life is messy and hard. Mortality, man. Whoa. It's, kicks your butt. Kicks your butt. It's scary, messy, and hard. And there's a lot of it that is you can't understand or comprehend. And that's why he has sent people to help us and to lift us and to, to care. Yeah, it's important. It's huge. After Jada, I waited two years. So we froze the embryos. And then with the frozen embryos, I placed two more two years after Jada. And I got twins and it's kicked my rear for six years. Like there's six now. It was amazing. Yay. Miraculous. But I tell people straight up, like, you don't pray for that. You don't pray <laughs> to have twins. And I mean, awesome. They're great. I love them, but hard, super hard. So with the infertility came then raising twins and what I had to experience with that. There were years that were hard and difficult. And I didn't think at that point I would ever, I'm done. We're good. We're done. It wasn't until a good friend actually came and she said, I said, I feel like there's one more. I don't know. I'm crazy because I'm 
five, four and twins. And the fact that I'm even considering one more. And she said, you know what? You're in the thick of it. You're already changing diapers. You're already doing it. If you feel like there's one, get it done. Like just, just do it. And she, she spoke my language. That was what I needed to hear. It felt it resonated with you. Especially with my personality. Cause she was like, you know what? Just imagine them being teen, one being teenagers. Cause you've waited and you've spaced it out. One's a teenager. Then you have a two-year-old. You have two different families. And I'm like, you're right. I can't do that. With my personality, you're actually right. That would stress me out more. Dealing with a teenager and all the emotion that comes with that. And then a two-year-old. I just experienced twins that were two. And I don't want to do that. Toddlerhood, mm-hmm. man, is hard for me anyway. Like it's just... Oh, I'm dying. You can ask any of my close friends and my husband with my three and a half year old and my two year old. It's insane. It's hard. I, I look at you and I give you some hope because my life just changed as of months ago with my twins now being in kindergarten. I've got four that are all in school all day long. Mm. And it, 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 it people would tell me, it gets there, it gets there, it gets easier. And now I'm in this magic age from six to 10 where I'm like, can you just stay? You're awesome. You know, this this time frame right now is so good for me and I'm in a good place as a mom and I'm actually enjoying it. And all the struggle that it took to get them here, I'm actually now finally appreciating my little people mm-hmm. like for what they can give. And, and it's okay. And it's, can I just say that yeah. loud enough? <laughs> that it's, okay it's okay that you're saying those mm-hmm. things, that you're finally really enjoying. I don't love them. Right. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean any of those things. It means, it means the struggle is real mm-hmm. and the hardship is real and maybe not liking motherhood is real. And that doesn't mean for those that aren't moms right now, it doesn't lessen their journey. No. That's where I think people are, they're afraid to share because afraid of, well, I'm not being compassionate to this other group that maybe aren't mothers yet or haven't become or can't. For whatever reason, they have this journey where they don't have children in this life. It doesn't lessen. It's my, it's my story. They're mm-hmm. my feelings and everybody's feelings matter. That's what I've learned and taken from my life that feelings matter. They're important. No matter what those feelings are, they're not insignificant. And they shouldn't just be, like you said, brushed aside or, or not talked about. And it's important to share them. Because with sharing our feelings, that's where the connection comes. That's where you connect with people. That person that's maybe feeling those exact same feelings, once you say those words or share that feeling, it's like, oh, I'm not alone. I just had that feeling today and I'm feeling shame and guilt for having that feeling. Oh yeah. But as soon as someone else comes in and says, guess what? I had the same feeling too. You automatically connect and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm not alone. Wait, maybe it's okay. Wait. <laughs> Is it okay to think it's okay? <laughs> it is okay. Absolutely. So after the twins, I decided, you know, there was one more. We had the frozen batch. So we went back. I can't remember. There was like eight. And so I went through the process of IVF. I forgot a medication. Anyone that's been through IVF knows the intensity of that. So I forgot a medication. They're like, you have to start all over. (laughs) And so I started all over again, the process. And then I decided, you know what? I don't want twins. I don't want twins. So I'm not doing two. And I placed one in there. And it didn't work. Got back to a really dark place. I'm like, I can't believe this. Like, there's one more. I have the faith to bring one more into this world after the four I already have. And that's been hard to do. But I'm going to do it. I had to then start the whole process over. I placed two. So I had everything inside of me. It's like, I have my last. I'm going to do these two. And you know where I've been. Mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, you know where I have been. So I'm going to put all my faith and trust. One will take and I'll get one. And I got my last Sadie. And even then giving birth to Sadie, I literally almost died giving birth to Sadie. She almost died. And it was in that moment at the hospital and the intensity of giving birth to my last child. Everything inside of me was like, I'm done with this. I'm done with this process. 
they came in like, do you want to be on birth control before? It was like a bad word. Like, do not say birth control to me mm-hmm. every time after my children, after you give right. birth and stuff. And I don't want to talk about birth control. Are you kidding me? I can't even conceive on my own. I don't want yeah. to have it. Once again, like how ungrateful <laughs> would I be to use birth control? I know. And they came in with Sadie and I said, that's music to my ears. Because if I conceived on my own after this, having gone through all of this, that would send me to a whole nother planet that I don't even want to experience emotionally. So I'm going to take control and I'm going to say, no, they tied my tubes. And it was the best decision I made for myself. And even sharing that part of my story, people are like, why? Like, I don't understand. Like, how could you do that? And I'm like, you have to be me <laughs> to know yep. why that decision is made, which is very personal and private. But there are so many things that happened in order for me to make that decision that it wasn't taken lightly for mm-hmm. sure. Even with my story, I didn't want to even have that in my life. Two years down the road, I magically conceived by myself without medical intervention. People would be like, well, that's miraculous. And I'd be like, no, it wasn't. That would have been hard for me. Well, because you matter too. Yes, babies matter. But you matter too. You're God's baby too. Yeah. I love that you just said that. It's true. (laughs) You're welcome. I need to hear it too, so I say it out loud. (laughs) It's true. You know, and he, he cares about us individually and personally and what we feel and what our struggle is. And it's real and it's important. And, and he listens to that and he cares. And now I have five. I have five little people. Sadie's three. So I got through it. (laughs) Good for you. Well, Mm -hmm. thank you for coming on. Mm -hmm. This has been amazing. I've been choking up the whole time and just like (laughs) trying to say coherent things. It's an incredible journey. And I love that you are so willing to talk about it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Ah, don't you just slather. Next time we have Gainalyn Condi on the podcast. She just wrote the book, You Are More Than Enough. You Are Magnificent. I just love her. She's the best. I asked her to be on the podcast specifically to to cover the topic we're going to talk about, which is at war with our bodies. We're going to discuss both suicide and body image. And I can't wait. Don't miss it for sure. So my little brother, Andrew, is the one that wrote and plays the guitar music for the beginning and ending of my podcast. And when he gave me that music, he and a few helpers created a prank track they gave to me to listen to. In honor of Halloween, I'm going to share that with you now. Happy Halloween. I love you. My name is Julie Lee, and I see you. Hi. My name is Julie Lee. This is my podcast that I've been working on for quite some time. I'm happy that you're all deciding to join me today. Now, here's a word from our sponsors. Oh!